our guest speaker today, Jamie Harris. Uh, this little yellow piece of paper in your bulletin gives us a lot more information about him. And uh, come on up, Jamie. We're going to pray for you. And um, so, uh, Heavenly Father, we lift up our brother Jamie, and we're so grateful to hear about his ministry, hear about what you're doing in the world, and to receive the word you have for us, the word that will strengthen us, that will bolster us up, that will edify us, will get us prepared and ready to go out uh, and be your servants, be your people, be um, your light in uh, the dark world. And we ask for grace for this morning is to open our ears, grace to listen well, grace to receive. Uh, We ask all this in the name and authority of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks for coming. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here today. Are you guys glad to be in the, the house of the Lord today? Oh, it's, it's going to feel different next week, isn't it? You're going to miss this. You're going to miss Annette being up here. I'm already missing Annette being up here next week. But yeah, I've been here before, and it's great to be back and see some of the people that I met last time. But also, there's a lot of new people here that I haven't met. So I thought it'd be good to start with sharing just a bit about our ministry in Indonesia. If we could go ahead and start that slideshow. There we go. Uh, there's my beautiful wife, Chiho. She sends her greetings. We've been happily married now for 20 years. Thank you very much. 20 out of 27, anyway. The other seven years, <laughs> uh, not so much. Uh, <laughs> marriage is hard, right? How, how many of you agree? Marriage is hard, right? And if you raise your hand on the way home from church, it's about to get a bit harder. Yeah. Oh, don't go through the slides. Yeah, let's go back there. Uh, Okay. Can you put it on the non-automatic thing? They'll get it figured out. You know what else is hard is going to a new country and trying to start a brand new life with a new language and a new culture and tell them about Jesus. And for us, it's the Banjar people in Indonesia. They're a Muslim group. And we were privileged to be the first people to go there a long time ago and start telling them the good news about Jesus because they had nobody who could tell them that in their own language and culture. And that's difficult. Um, It's difficult to try to fit in, right? So uh, you can see in that photo when we get back to the beginning there, My wife and I are, we put on the beautiful batik clothes. Did you see those? The beautiful batik clothes to try to fit in with the local people. I asked myself coming back to America this time what I could put on to try to fit in with Americans, right? So you can see I have put on 20 extra pounds. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, I'm not worried about it, though. I can lose it all on my next trip to England, I figure. (laughs) You know, my sister went to England, and she was there just one week and lost over 50 pounds. She also asked me to send her money. Thank you. Back to our ministry. Um, Here's our next slide. One of my favorite ministries. Oh, don't go there yet. Don't go there yet. Come back. (laughs) Okay, you're going to get the fast version of this slideshow. All right, let's just let it go then. Uh, We have a house of prayer for everyone that 
uh, Dwayne mentioned. We love this house of prayer. Hundreds of Muslims have come in to pray with us. And we've touched thousands more through prayer events outside of the house of prayer. It's the most beautiful thing, and they experience God's presence just like you do, and he changes them. All right, let's keep going through here. Another thing we do is we teach a peace curriculum in local schools, the 12 values of peace, to help them learn how to relate to people who are different than they are. I think we'd use that in America, too. We have peace camps, uh, peace seminars, peace festivals, all kinds of different peace things going on. And it's a way to break down the walls so that Muslims and Christians can learn how to love each other. And in that way, we can share more about Jesus. All right, let's keep going. My wife, at the same time, is working a lot with the poor. We have poor children that come to our house every day from a nearby poor village. And she loves on them, uh, prays for them, doctors them, counsels them. When they run away from home, they run to our house. Uh, She loves working with them. And we've seen several of them. Let's go on to the next one. Uh, We've seen several of them stay in school because of donations we've received from the West. Uh, a lot of them, the parents want them to drop out of school, and we've, uh, we've been able to help them. These two, uh, one of them finished high school, and the other one is now in college as a junior. So it's really great to see how that completely transforms the future options for them, right? All right, next slide. Uh, the other ministries that we're involved in, uh, at the bottom is this couple, uh, Life and Mary. I'll tell you more about them later. Uh, We're shadow pastoring, you might call it, a movement of Muslims who follow Christ. It's a wild, wild thing that God's doing. Uh, And then we also started a Christian bookstore. Uh, We have an FM radio ministry. And lately I've been helping to teach missionary kids on another island to make sure that they also (laughs) keep their lives on track so their parents can stay on the field. And next. Uh, Some of the things that God's been teaching us over the years, we've put into novels so that the average Christian in America can interact with these themes. And so the first three that I did were about terrorism and peacemaking. Um, You're welcome to check those out afterwards. I've got another new book out that's focused on revival and transformation in America. And I think with all of the events being canceled, what a perfect time to stock up on some good books to keep at home for you, right? Next. Yeah, so please pray for us. Let's go on. We'll pause on this slide for a moment. Uh, this is a wedding of our sort of adopted son, Key. Uh, this happened just last June, and it was such a special event for us. We had 2,000 people show up to the wedding reception. And so there we were in the front watching these masses of people, and it was just amazing to look back over 20 years, Right? And see, here's these small groups of the minority Christians who had been faithful for so long, helping us to reach out to Muslims. And then we see different pockets of Muslims who have come to faith in Christ over the years. And then we see many more Muslims that we know are on the way. They've had a dream. They've seen a miracle. They've prayed with us. They haven't quite gotten there yet, but we know they're moving the right direction. And then there's like a thousand other people that we don't even know who they are. 
But because of our relationship with Key and his wife, God has brought them into our sphere of influence. Isn't that awesome? Okay, why don't you flip through the last few slides there real quickly. Yeah, just keep going. We work with um, an organization called uh, Peace Catalyst International, and it's a faith-based organization. Uh, we depend on charitable donations from a few churches and several individuals. Just keep, just keep going all the way to the end of the slideshow, thanks. Uh, we're, and we're so grateful for the people that have stood with us. If God speaks to you about partnering with us in any way, uh, come and talk to me out at the table afterwards. My wife was asking me recently, so how are our finances? And I said, well, do you want the good news or the bad news? She said, tell me the good news. I said, well, the good news is that God has already provided enough donations to last us the rest of our lives. And she said, then what's the bad news? And I said, well, we need to die by a week from Thursday. <laughs> All right, so let's go on to the next uh, set of slides, and if you can figure out how to set it up so that we can do it one at a time, that would be awesome. Oh, okay. Uh, yes. These do not have transitions. Okay, so we're 0 for, well, 1 for 2 out of that. That's pretty good. Excellent. I believe that revival is coming to America. I believe that we're going to see many communities, including some cities in America, experience a historic revival that is going to be marked not only by an awakening in the church, but by an actual transformation of the society around them. I want to share something today to stir your faith to believe this with me. It's not that difficult for God to do. And it usually starts with one person. One man's transformation can become a community's transformation. It's been happening in the Bible. It's been happening throughout history, and it's going to happen again to our nation. Uh, but first, let me ask you, how many of you uh, at least try, at least try your best to read the Bible every day? Wonderful. I'm in the right church. Excellent. So you're ready for a Bible quiz then, I guess, right? All right, here's four questions, and Pastor Andrew said that if any of you can get all four of these questions correct and text them to him in the next two minutes, he will personally pay. <laughs> you don't remember this yet? He will personally pay for a beautiful Bible scholar calligraphy tattoo for your forehead. Thank you, Pastor Andrew. Here we go. Number one, who was the first New Testament cross-cultural missionary to the Gentiles? Hmm. Number two, which was the first village in the New Testament to fully embrace Jesus as their Messiah? 
You know that one? Number three, who put his, his or her full faith in Jesus and asked to join the team of disciples, but Jesus refused? And why would he do that? And number four, why did Jesus do two miracles of multiplying food, first for 5,000 and then for 4,000? Wouldn't once be enough. Everybody got your text ready? All right, let's see if you got number one correct. Who was the first New Testament cross-cultural missionary to the Gentiles? Jesus. You know, sometimes we think about Jesus as just focusing on the Jews, but Jesus took short-term mission trips. You want to be like Jesus? Go on a cross-cultural short-term missions trip. If you guys are familiar with the map of of, uh, of, um, Israel back in those days, right? The Jews were mainly located in two areas, uh, Galilee in the north and then Judea in the south, right? Jesus was born and died in Judea. He lived a lot of his life up in Galilee. But there were Gentiles all around them. And Jesus didn't wait for the Gentiles to come to Jerusalem. He went to them. Uh, Look at Samaria right in the middle. Different ethnic group, different religion. Up in the north, you've got Syrophoenicia. Different ethnic group, different religion. A whole bunch of religions. Over in the east, you've got the Decapolis, area of Gadara and Gerasa. We're going to be talking about different people groups, different religions. And Jesus went to all of them. Now, question number two, which was the first village in the New Testament to fully embrace Jesus as Messiah? It's on this map. I don't know if you can read it. Somebody knows what it is. Yeah, Sikar in Samaria was the first, and they weren't even Jewish. Now, this is a crazy story. So if you've read John chapter 4, you know about the woman at the well, right? Jesus meets her, and she is stunned that Jesus came to her place and wants to talk to her. Why? Because Jews don't talk to Samaritans. And holy men don't talk to loose women, right? I mean, she's, she's not the right candidate for him to be talking to, but he definitely wanted to talk to her because she was going to open up the first village, the first people movement. She was the transformer. Now, even when he talks to her, she tries to argue him out of talking with her. <laughs> She's like, wait a minute, we, we don't have the same religion. We worship on this mountain. And you Jews worship over there in Jerusalem. So who's right? You ever had religious people want to argue religion with you? Jesus just sidesteps that beautifully. And he says, you know what? God doesn't care about where or how, if you pray like this or you... He's looking for something deeper, right? Something in the heart, spirit and truth, which means you qualify. You Samaritans, you get spirit and truth, you're in. God will accept you. That was mind-blowing to her. She went back and told her village that, and they invited him to come. And look what happens. After just a few days in that village, they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. No Jews were getting that revelation yet. But these foreigners from another religion 
got the revelation that he was their savior and the savior of the world. Now, did Jesus ask them to convert to Judaism? Start worshiping in Jerusalem? No. Why not? Because he had already come to them. They got him. Now, Jesus' next trip after Samaria was to go across the Jordan River to the east over to the Decapolis region. And it's there that he met a demonized man that we're going to focus in on today. This guy wanted to join the band of disciples. You might have remembered him. Let's go ahead and read through the text. You can read along with me here. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. I love this story. You ever read the Bible and I try to identify with characters, like maybe Peter, you're like, oh, I'm like you, Peter. You ever felt identification with this guy? I'm like you, Mr. Demonized Guy. Maybe not, but after today, maybe you will. This guy needs a name, actually, so let's give him a name. Mm, how, about, how about Don Draper? Anybody see the show Mad Men? Well, I thought that would, you know, Mad, never mind. We'll call him Don, okay? Demonized Don. I want to make a couple of points from this story. And the first one is the power of the crowd versus the power of the one. Now, demonized Don understood the power of the crowd. He had experienced the crowd against him in two very traumatic ways. The first crowd was a crowd of demons. Now, I doubt that Don was born as a baby demonized. He probably had a childhood. He probably had friends, family, 
basketball partners, a girl he had a crush on. He was probably a normal guy until the day when these demons moved in. And apparently, a lot of them moved in. Because when Jesus asked their name, they didn't say, like, oh, we're the horrible half dozen, right? It's like, no, we're legion. Legion, that was a Roman term that was used for, like, four to 5,000 soldiers. Could this guy possibly have had thousands of demons? I don't know how that works. But we do know that the 2,000 pigs all went crazy. <laughs> There might have been a lot of demons in the sky. So he had been traumatized by the power of the crowd. He had felt helpless because this crowd of demons had taken away his family, his friends, his future, his dignity, his humanity. Now he's running around naked in the tombs. This poor guy. Now, those of you who grew up in Minnesota, maybe you don't have a lot of experience seeing people who are demonized. My friends who come from Rwanda or other places maybe have a little bit more experience. Uh, when we went to Indonesia, we did not have a class in Bible college on how to deliver people from evil spirits. But we learned because there they were. We had two young women. One was hissing and writhing like a snake. And the other one was on all fours, growling and roaring like a tiger. <laughs> God beautifully delivered both of them, set them free. There was a Muslim girl who, as a junior high student, uh, had a demon come in and speak through her in a man's voice. He was upset about something and told the community that he wanted an offering of a specific type. And they gave him the offering, and then he withdrew. But she was so traumatized so traumatized. She quit school, and she came to live with us, <laughs> and God wonderfully set her free, and she's now been sharing the gospel and her testimony with many Muslims. But the guy that I think of the most from our ministry when I read this story is a young man. We'll call him Marky. Uh, Marky was a teenage boy when he became demonized and was so violent that his Parents didn't know what to do to protect themselves from their son. So they chained him to a tree for seven years. And just like this guy in the story, he lost everything, right? Including his humanity, chained up like an animal. So we had to learn how to deal with demons. Fortunately, we had the power of the one with us. But that wasn't the only crowd that poor Don had to deal with. He also had the crowd of the townspeople, people who had once been his friends, and yet when he became demonized, I don't think he probably voluntarily said, hey guys, I think I'll just go live out here in the tombs so I won't bother any of you. That's usually not what happens. Usually there's a mob that forms his own former friends and neighbors, the guy who sells at the bakery, they, they form and they drive him out of town. They don't want him to scare the children or the tourists or cause traffic problems, right? So they push him into the cemetery. And his last memory of all the people of his region 
is a crowd that is against him. But along comes Jesus to teach him the power of the one, the one Savior. Jesus, see, when, when Jesus enters any situation, the balance of power tips dramatically, right? When Jesus goes into the wilderness and is tested by Satan for 40 days, does he come out of the wilderness drained or in the power of the Holy Spirit? When Jesus meets the leper and touches him, does the leprosy jump into Jesus or does the leprosy flee from the power of the one Savior? Even in death, when Jesus gives his life on the cross, does death have the last laugh or does death bow the knee? You see what I'm saying? The power of the one tips the scales because of who that one is. Romans 8, 11, that same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. Maybe you have felt the power of the crowd against you. Maybe you've felt intimidated by the popular kids at school or that group at the office that likes to gossip about everyone. Intimidated by the voice of the media or the voice of social media. These groups that are telling you that you're supposed to think a certain way. You're supposed to act a certain way. And every time you want to break out of those boxes and really express what's inside you, you hesitate. You start to worry about what's going to happen, the reaction from the crowd. When you actually have the power of the one inside you. The townspeople, when they come out and see this miracle, how do they respond? Do they give God glory and welcome Don back with open arms? They want to get Jesus out of there. Why? First, they're afraid. Secondly, he's bad for the economy. Right? Look at all the pigs we lost. Now, when animal rights activists read this passage, they might not like it. My Muslim friends love this passage. Oh, Jesus, that's great. Death to pigs. They don't like pigs. Why did the demons have to go into pigs? Isn't that kind of bizarre? Well, first of all, they asked. But you notice how Jesus always has something that he's doing that goes beyond what we all think we're doing with our asking. Gee, I think Jesus wanted them to go into the pigs. And here's why. I think this picture of 2,000 crazed pigs on the top of the hill with Don is going to teach Don a very important lesson with a visual image. Now, Jesus also knew what it was like to have the power of the crowd against him. If you remember back in Luke 4, there was a time when they wanted to run Jesus out of town and push him over a cliff. Do you remember that story? But it says Jesus just walked right through the midst of them. 
He knew what it's like to have an angry mob gathered against you at the top of a cliff, ready to push the troublemaker over the edge. But this time, there's an angry mob of pigs. There's one troublemaker named Don, but the pigs are the ones who go over the cliff. You see it? The crowd goes over the cliff, and the one stands victorious. Now, why would Don need that image? Because he's about to get commissioned to go back to the very same crowd that ran him out of town. And he needs to know that he himself, in the power of Jesus, is enough to face an entire crowd. He needs that picture. Now, he wants to go be with Jesus, right? Who wouldn't? (laughs) You know what? Forget those guys. They don't love me. I want to go be with you, Jesus, and your disciples. But Jesus says no. He doesn't let him go join the disciples and go back to Judea with him. Why not? Hmm. Oh, yes. Don. Brings me to my second point. Don't invite everyone to your church. Now, you might think that's a weird point for a preacher to preach. Why would it not be a great idea for Don to join the Church of the Disciples in Jerusalem? First of all, he's not circumcised. He's a Gentile. Could that cause problems for him in Jerusalem? We know it did for Paul's team later on, right? Um, Does he need to get circumcised in order to follow Jesus? No. So Jesus is not going to ask him to do that, but taking him to Jerusalem would just cause him to have another experience of an entire crowd rejecting him. That's not what Don needs. What Don needs is to win back the hearts of his own family and community that he left behind. So instead of inviting him to the Jerusalem church, Jesus says, take me and my power, your testimony, back to your people. Kind of like the Samaritans, right? Take Jesus back to Samaria and see what happens there. Because Jesus personally commissioned him to go back to his Gentile people, theologian uh, Tom Wright labels this guy as the first apostle to the Gentiles. How about that? Have you ever considered telling someone not to come to your church? I think about Mary, who you saw in the photo earlier. Mary was a 14-year-old Muslim girl who had a dream about Jesus. So she asked her Chinese boss, what do I do to learn more about Jesus? And the boss said, you go to my Chinese church. So she did. That did not go over well with her family. Uh, Mary's uncle threatened to kill her, and she had to run for her life. A few years later, a voice of the martyrs, you guys know them, they found her. They knew that she had a heart for taking the gospel back to her own people, and they said, we're going to send you to Jamie and Chiho to train you in how to do that. So she came to us, and we asked her about her experience in the Chinese church, and she said, well, I didn't really fit in there. 
I'm not Chinese. <laughs> I don't speak their language. I don't eat their food. I don't dress like them. Uh, I don't know any of their extended networks. Uh, I'm an outsider there. I don't fit in at that church. And we said, Mary, you know, you don't have to go to a Chinese church to follow Jesus. Now, I'm using Chinese because we only have a few minority churches there, okay? Her people group didn't have a church to go to. We said, Mary, what's on the outside doesn't matter to God. You can cover your head or not cover your head. That's not a big deal. Uh, You can eat pork or not eat pork. That's not a big deal to God. If you feel more comfortable covering your head and abstaining from pork, fine. She says, oh, you mean I can be a Muslim? Because that's what it meant to her. That's what Muslim meant to her. She'd never studied the Quran. It just meant that she covered her head and didn't eat pork. Oh, you mean I can be a Muslim? And we said, yeah. What matters is on the inside. If you've got Jesus on the inside, take that Jesus back into your community and let him change them from the inside out. And she did. And amazingly, God provided for her uncle to have a complete turn of heart and she's seen many of her family members come to faith in Christ now. She started many groups of Muslims who want to read the Bible, and she's seen hundreds of Muslims come to faith in Jesus. She was just a 14-year-old girl with a first-grade education, with a lot of abuse in her past, but she had a testimony of meeting Jesus. What do you think about Don? Do you think he's got a chance going back to Decapolis region to tell about his testimony? Do you think he'll be a successful apostle? Well, if you've read the rest of the book of Mark, you'll find that you flip over a couple chapters, and in Mark 7, Jesus has taken another short-term trip (laughs) up into Syrophoenicia area, and he's won more Gentiles to faith, and now he's coming back on a second follow-up trip into the Decapolis region. Look at Mark 7, 31. It says, Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. Last time they begged Jesus to leave town. This time they begged Jesus to heal them. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. And then it transitions right into Mark chapter 8, verse 1, where most scholars believe this story happens in the same region of the Decapolis. What happens? Jesus feeds 4,000. Why did Jesus feed the 4,000? Why wasn't 5,000 enough? Because the 5,000 were Jews. The 4,000 were most likely Gentiles. I think Jesus wanted to personally announce that the heavenly banquet is open for all. And there's something really special, I think, about this scene where Jesus is there and there's 4,000 people gathered. Where from? From the towns that Don just went around and shared his testimony. Maybe Don even invited them to come. And I I imagine that Don was there, don't you think? 
I imagine him up in the front with Jesus. And this time he's looking over the crowd once again. But it's a different crowd. Same faces, but this time they are hungry and thirsty for the Savior. Wow. Why did Jesus do two miracles of multiplying food? First for the Jews, second for the Gentiles, and I think it was for Don. One man's transformation becomes his community's transformation. Let me have the worship team come on up. We got to see something similar to this with Marky. Remember Marky? The young man who was chained to a tree for seven years. What hope does he have? There was a local pastor that walked by their house often, and he would see Marky chained in the front yard. And it just pricked his spirit, you can imagine. So one day, this pastor went to the Muslim family, and he said, Hi, I'm a Christian pastor. I think I could help your son. Would you let me take him? And they said, Please, take him. Anything you can do would be great. This pastor unchained the boy and took him in and got him on medication to keep him calm, taught him the word, prayed for him, cast demons out of him, did everything that this pastor and his team could do. And the boy got progressively better, but he never got fully free from his demons. And finally, this pastor had heard what was happening in our city, where Mary and her husband were starting to see some outrageous miracles. And so the pastor said, you know what, let's take Marky up to Jamie and Chiho's place. We brought him into our house of prayer, and we prayed over him there. Uh, my wife went with Life and Mary uh, frequently to the place where he was staying and prayed over him again and again and again because this guy had many demons. It took three months. But at the end of three months, he was completely delivered, off all of his medication, fallen in love with Jesus, and it was time to send him home. Can you imagine that moment when he goes back to his front door knocks, and his parents open the door, and their first response might be to step back in fear because the last time they'd seen Marky, he was coming for their throats. But this time, Marky's smiling. And he says, Mom, Dad, it's okay. Jesus set me free. How about a hug? The family's reunited. I'm happy to say that today, Marky has a full-time job. He's happily married, and he has a testimony Right? He is a testimony that can transform his community. This is what God is looking for, the transformed ones to bring that transformation. And all over America, he's looking for people like us to be those transformed ones that will move in the power of God, the power of the one against whatever crowd we're up against and see Revival come. I want to finish today by moving into a time of prayer. First of all, if you're here today and you know what it's like to be the one against a crowd, 
and feel like you're always on the losing end because you don't have a savior to stand next to you. Or maybe it's been a long time since you felt the savior standing next to you against what you face. If that's you today, I wanna invite you to come to the front as we pray and sing and someone here from the church will be able to minister to you. You shouldn't leave this place without knowing the Savior. He will transform your life. But let's all stand and pray. I don't know about you, but I want to be the transformed one. I want to be the one that carries the revival into my communities. There was an article recently with Denzel Washington being interviewed. And the, the journalist asked, how do you live out your Christian faith in godless Hollywood? And Denzel said, what do you mean godless Hollywood? Hollywood's not godless, I'm there. Right? You're there. The Bible says that Jesus sent his disciples out two by two, where? Into every place he was about to visit. Why did he send you into that school? Why did he send you into that workplace? Into that yoga group or wherever you are? Because he wants to visit. You're the advanced team and it only takes one moving and the power of the one Savior. Right now, I want you to just close your eyes and name those communities that you're a part of. Name those institutions that you're a part of. Say, God, I invite you into those places right now. Lord, I'm asking for revival and transformation of my communities. Name them before the Lord right now. And let's pray with faith, Lord. We see our communities and our institutions. People are hungry and thirsty for you. Whether they know it or not, Lord, we see it. We see that there is miracle power that is ready to be accessed for them right now. We see that atmospheres over these places can change in a moment when we're there. We see people coming to the Lord people's lives being changed and transformed. I want you to think right now about that person in your community that's the hard heart, that immoral woman, that demonized man, that person who's hard to get along with, that person who has stood against you. Lift them up before the Lord because there is no heart too hard for him. God, we call transformation down on that person, Lord. If you can set this demonized dawn free, you can set that person free. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We declare freedom for them from all demonic confusion on their life right now in Jesus' name. Now put your hand on your heart. Let's pray for ourselves. And God, we invite you to transform us. Transform me, God. 
Right now, I speak to my own spirit to be awakened in the name of Jesus. I want revival in my own heart, Lord, that that revival might overflow in every sphere that I'm in, that when I walk into a room, the atmosphere will change in the name of Jesus, that when I walk by, my shadow will heal people in the name of Jesus. Come on. God, do it in me. If you can bring a transformation into me, then through me, you can change a whole community. I believe that, Lord. Would you release in me the awesome power of Jesus' miracles? Would you release into me the supernatural wisdom to solve problems? Would you release into me the limitless love that crosses every boundary, God? God, how about the Twin Cities? Come on, Lord, we don't want to see your revival come to America and pass our city by. That's not going to happen while we're here, Lord. Come on, we're going to pray it, Lord. We're going to pray it, starting with one heart to one school to one business until we get a city, God, until we'll see, we see government transformed in this city in the name of Jesus, until we see your kingdom come into business in the name of Jesus, come into education, come into arts and entertainment, come into the media, every sphere of influence in this city will bow the knee and we say that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign over the twin cities forever and ever. Come Lord, release revival in this land. Let us be part of it. Let us rise up to lead it, Lord. Why not us? Why not us? Why not us? Do it again, Lord. Hello, family. I am feeling that God wants us to know that this month is an incredible opportunity and an open window to reach people that you didn't think were reachable. People in my own family, I feel a freedom to reach out to because God's given us this platform, this thing happening in the world that he's going to use for his glory. So the people that may have been scary to talk about before, the people that you think would not have been open to the gospel or anything about your Christian faith before, everybody is open now because a lot of people are scared. Twice in two days, my husband has ministered to somebody in the grocery store checkout. They stop what they're doing and they listen to what they ha what he has to say, though there are people behind us trying to buy toilet paper. My husband has this opportunity to reach talking to people he doesn't even know. One man even stopped in a Costco checkout line and picked up his own phone and asked Brian if he had any verses. And he looked up the verse on his phone with a line of people behind him. People of God, step up. This is our opportunity to love those who have seemed unreachable, to love those and to speak to those who have had their hearts and their doors closed to you. So go forward in boldness. There is an extra portion, an extra level of provision over us that we can go out without fear, without, without being ashamed without fear of reproach from others, this door is open to us. And let's hear the testimonies roll in. And now I'm going to pray over us that the God of hope and the God of peace, the God that promised that we will be victorious overcomers, that the Spirit of God will hover over all of us as we leave 
united in spirit and purpose, though distanced from one another, as we love our communities, as we honor what our government is asking us to do right now, as we lift up those who are caring for the sick, those who are fearful of becoming sick, Lord, of the parents seeking childcare, of the schools and all of the institutions and the entities that are disrupted right now. God, you send us out, Lord. We are a light. As the song said, we are a light in this darkness and we are capable and able because of our identity in you. We know the truth. We know it's coming and we stand not afraid. As a family of God, we stand not afraid. So go in peace in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are commissioned as messengers of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. And uh, so you heard it, folks. Uh, you're dismissed in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those of you who said, uh, the eight of you who said you're going to help uh, sanitize for uh, Korean Christian Fellowship, International Christian Fellowship, come join me up here and uh, go in the Lord's power. 